My name is Brent Smith. I'm one of the leaders here at Christ Central. And if you're new here with us, we just want to hope that you feel very welcome with us because you are. And uh, for the past few weeks, we've been going through uh, a section in Ephesians that is commonly known as the armor of God. And uh, so a few weeks ago, we looked at what it means to stand uh, in God's might. And Joe showed us what it means to put on the belt of truth and put on the breastplate of righteousness last week. And so we'll continue this week uh, looking at the gospel of peace. And so this section, there's a guy named Paul. He wrote a, wrote a letter to a church in Ephesus. And uh, it's known as the letter to the Ephesians. And near the end of that book, there's, or the end of that letter, there's 10 verses uh, that, we, that we call the armor of God where he reminds the church that we're in a battle, there is an enemy, and he wants to get them ready uh, to go to war. And so that's our uh, portion that we've been looking at for this summer. And so we'll read it through, Ephesians 6, 10 to 20. <clears throat> and I just realized that I didn't put the verse in my slides. So I apologize, but all the more reason to bring your Bible on a Sunday morning. Huh? Oh. Okay. Ephesians 6, 10 to 20. Paul says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace." In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. And so that's Ephesians 6, 10 to 20. And so let's pray. And you can see our title this morning is A Mobile Gospel in a Hostile World. And so we'll pray and then we'll start to unpack this a bit. So Father, we're so thankful for this morning. We're so thankful for the way that you've been speaking to us this morning. We're so thankful for the way that you speak to us through your word, that we have it so uh, accessible to us. And uh, we just pray, Father, that you would come by your spirit, that you would open our eyes to behold the wonderful things contained in it. And we want to have eyes that see and ears that hear and hearts that understand. And we want to be changed in your presence by your spirit through your word this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we just have a few words to look at this morning. As shoes for your feet, put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. So first, uh, let's unpack what the gospel is. Then we'll look at the imagery that Paul is pointing to us by telling us to strap it 
on our feet, and then we'll throw those two things together and have some application from that, okay? So when we look at this verse, the first thing I would ask myself is, what is the, the weightiest word here? What is the word that holds the most importance? Because we need to get that down, because that affects everything else. So the weightiest word that I would see would be gospel, right? We've got to understand what the gospel is. We know we want to strap it to our feet. We know it has something to do with our feet. We know it has something to do with peace. But we've got to get down what the gospel is. If somebody said, put ice skates on, but you're from Peru and don't know what ice skates are, it's going to be very difficult for you to put it on your feet and for it to be useful, right? We've got to know what the gospel is before we can go any further. So, what is the gospel? <clears throat> the gospel is a word that literally means good news. It means good news. And the Bible uses this term to refer to the message that God has fulfilled His promise in providing a Savior to rescue broken people, restore creation's glory, and rule over all with compassion and justice. To rescue broken people, to restore creation's glory, and to rule over all with compassion and justice. That's what the gospel is. And there's no news like it. There is no good news. There is no greater news that compares to the good news of the gospel. So I don't know what you think when you hear the word gospel. Maybe you've grown up in the church for quite some time, and unfortunately it's become a bit of a, a throwaway word. It's so familiar that it's grown stale. Or maybe this is your first time in church and the word gospel is new to you and it's confusing. Maybe you associate it with a particular type of music, but I don't know how you see the word gospel, but the Bible presents it as a message of good news, as a joyful message. And if you look back in Luke 2, when the angels show up on the scene to the shepherds, they say, behold, we bring you uh, good news of great joy that will be for all people. Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, Christ the Lord. It is good news of great joy. The good news, the gospel message is such that it should produce in us great joy. And it was amazing this morning because I think we understood that the good news brings great joy. The gospel brings great joy joy. So why is the gospel a joyful message? Let's just get this down before we move on and looking at peace and looking at the imagery that Paul's using. Why is this gospel a joyful message? I think it would be helpful just to break down what makes up a joyful message. Okay, just a joyful message in general. What makes up a joyful message. First, a joyful message should be good. A joyful message should be good. So if you picture yourself sitting in your chair in your living room, you get the Daily Gleaner, you open it up, front page, because this would be a good front page title for the Daily Gleaner, Cure for Heartburn Found. Okay? That's a good message, right? I don't struggle that much with heartburn, but it's not bad news. Definitely, it's good news. Cure for heartburn 
found, okay? That's good news, agreed? But it's not great good news, is it? Second, so we move beyond that. We be, move beyond that, and the message needs to be great as well. For it to produce a lot of joy, it needs not just to be a good news, it needs to be great good news. So this time, you're sitting in your chair in your living room, and as great as a cure for heartburn, heartburn would be, imagine opening up the Daily Gleaner, and it says, finally, cure for cancer found. Okay? Now we're in great good news. This isn't just minor things. This is great good news that affects much. Finally, cure for cancer found. It would probably produce a certain amount of joy in your life because you know people that are affected by it. <clears throat> we're not talking about a fire in your stomach after eating chili. We're talking about a terminal illness and a cure's been found. It affects much. So we take it up another notch for a joyful message to be as joyful as it can be for us. It needs to be for us. And so now you open up the paper, you read, cure for cancer found, but you're not sitting in your living room, you're sitting in palliative care in the Dr. Everett Chalmers Hospital. Now it's not just a problem out there, it's a problem in here, and the cure's been found. Now we're at a different level of joy, right? Are you with me? We're not talking about heartburn. We're not talking about something minor. We're talking about something great. We're not just talking about something great out there. We're talking about something great right here, okay? So it's personal. The headline isn't just good news for others. It's good news for you, and death gives way to life. Despair gives way to hope. Sadness gives way to joy. It's good, it's great, it's personal. And lastly, for the joy to actually remain, the message has to be true and lasting. Okay? It's, it's not joyful. If the cancer comes back eventually, that joy is going to quickly trickle out. It's a lasting cure. And so as you read through the article, it says... All, it's been confirmed by all the doctors, the research has been done, all the authorities agree, the cure is found, and it's a lasting cure, and it covers all types of cancer, and it's been confirmed and uh, analyzed, and it's true, and it's lasting. It's not an empty promise. And so now, whew, our joy's at another level, right? It's good, it's great, it's personal, and it's lasting. When you have those four things, then it truly is good news of great joy. It truly is a joyful message. And so, for those same reasons, the gospel, the message of Jesus coming to rescue, to restore, to rule with compassion and justice is good news of great joy. Because the gospel tells us that there is a way to be healed. There is a way to be forgiven of sin. And that's good. But it's also great. The Bible tells us that sin is serious business. Sin is a terminal illness. It's not just something that annoys God in His justice. He cannot overlook it. 
He requires a penalty for it. And so sin leads to death, to eternal death, to eternal separation from him. It's serious, serious stuff. And the good news of the gospel is great because of the bad news that it meets head on. Separation from God for eternity is bad news, and the gospel hits it head on. That's why the gospel is great good news. We need to let the truths of the gospel shake us out of our slumber, because as great as sin is, as great as the punishment for sin is, the gospel and the grace of God and the work of Jesus Christ on the cross is greater. God has provided a cure. Sin isn't just something far off that we would throw in a sentence with axe murderers and child molesters. Sin is all of us. We are all sinners. It's not just something far off and out there. It's personal. Everyone who has missed uh, God's perfection, missed the mark as far as following God, is guilty of sin. And the Bible says that we're all in that boat. You, me, everybody is in that boat. But then we sit down and we open up the good news and we read the headlines that says, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. The headline for us is something greater than a cure for cancer. The headline for us is, uh, finally, Savior for sin, Jesus. It's infinitely bigger than cure for cancer. As much joy as we could have at that, how much we can pray towards that, infinitely greater is the good news, uh, Savior for sin, Jesus. And that's what we read when we open up the good news and we read the headlines. God loved you and he gave himself for you. It's not just out there, it's personal and it's for you. And on top of that, the gospel is lasting. It's lasting. It endures. As Ben said this morning, the capstone from 1872 endures. Jesus, his work on the cross for you, when you put your faith in him, it endures forever. Okay? If you were here last week, I was right here. Lydia, my youngest, bonkers, right? She was not putting her mind on the things of the Spirit. She was embracing the deeds of the flesh, <clears throat> and she was off, okay? Our children executed perfectly divide and conquer. Karen was out with Peyton at the bathroom. Lydia, crazy. Jill steps in, says, why don't I take her out? Great. Then anyone who witnessed Jill trying to take Lydia, Lydia screaming her head off as Jill takes her out, right? She screams bloody murder the whole way down the hall, right? And we all saw it and we said, isn't that sad, right? <laughs> but let, listen, listen, let God use that this morning for him to tell you he will never 
do that to you. When you are His and you are in His arms, no one snatches you out. You will not be carried away from Him screaming and crying. You are with the Father forever. Amen. You are with Him forever. No one can snatch you out of His hand. Okay? It is lasting. It is a lasting cure. So it's good, it's great, it's personal, and it's lasting. It's good news of great joy that will be for all people. Unto us a Savior is born. Jesus, who came into the world, lived a perfect life, went to the cross, died for your sin, and God's wrath on the cross, rose victorious over sin, death, and the devil, and now all who put their faith in him have forgiveness and peace with God and eternal life in his presence. And if you're here this morning without that, you need to know that it's available for you even this morning. You see the greatness of your sin that separates you from God, not just today, but will separate you for eternity, and you run to Jesus for forgiveness and life and peace. And if you do have it, rejoice. Rejoice. It is good news of great joy. And so we rejoice. We pray that the Holy Spirit awakens us to the great joy of the gospel that is true for us. It doesn't matter what your personality is. It doesn't matter what your tradition is. The good news of great joy should produce in you joy that is worthy of rejoicing in. In the Bible, it doesn't say that when the shepherds heard the good news, they ran away rejoicing, except the introverts, they walked away quietly praising God inside. Right? It doesn't say when Jesus healed someone, they all jumped up and leapt, except those with not more of a charismatic theology, they just kind of walked away quietly. Right? They leapt and rejoiced. They ran away leaping and rejoicing and praising God because the good news is good news of great joy for all people. <clears throat> so when we gather on a Sunday morning, our church, every church that clings to the good news of great joy that the gospel is, should be churches that are marked by joy. They should be marked by joy. When we gather together as a church to give our great Savior the praise and the honor and the, and the worship that he deserves, it should be marked by joy because we've read the headlines, uh, Savior for sin found Jesus. So that's the gospel. That's one aspect of the gospel we didn't even look at rescuing or restoring creation's glory, ruling in compassion and justice. That's just one aspect. The gospel is huge and you could study it your whole life and it will continue to produce joy, 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 joy. <clears throat> so let's look at how Paul incorporates this gospel into this imagery of armor that we are to put on. He says... <clears throat> to put on our feet the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. And so most scholars 
agree that Paul's imagery here is of a Roman soldier, a legionnaire. And the legionnaire's footwear was a leather-strapped, sandal-type boot that had a thick leather sole with hobnails or with studs on the bottom for increased traction. It was top-of-the-line footwear at the time. It provided greater support for the ankle, protection against any hazards on the ground, which meant better mobility across any type of terrain in any type of weather. And so better mobility in battle means an advantage over your enemy, an advantage over your enemy means a victory in battle. Okay? If you flip to the next slide, guys. So this is what we're talking about, all right? Sometimes when we think the sandals of the gospel of peace or whatever your translation says, it kind of gets a bit wimpy, all right? We're not talking about a flip-flop, okay? It's like if Birkenstock made a football cleat, this is what we'd be looking at, okay? This is Birkenstock's football cleat, okay? All right? Because sometimes we get a little wimpy when we talk about sandals, okay? We're not talking about flip-flops. We're talking about something that's got some aggressiveness to it. And the footwear is important, so we don't want to downplay this aspect of the armor, right? Sometimes we think, ooh, helmet, sword, pretty important. Your feet are important. I've got a little cut on the back of my heel on my right foot, okay? Nathaniel and I deliver newspapers in the morning. <clears throat> With my sneakers on, that cut, I'm always, oof, every time. It's pretty sharp, and it's only about this big, but it's right where your sneaker grinds against the back of your heel. Feet are important. If that little cut is on my finger, I move around fine. I'm delivering papers like a boss, right? <laughs> but it's right here on the back of my heel, and it's a lot of pain. So our feet are important. So don't downplay any aspect of the armor here, okay? We don't want to elevate anything above anything else, okay? As important as a shield and a sword and a helmet are, it's important that you have the right footwear as well. So, this idea of readiness, this idea of strapping it on our feet makes me think that Paul's point here has to do with mobility, with moving around. So let me use Paul's imagery and give us a few ways that we need to be ready to move with the gospel of peace. <clears throat> First and foremost, <clears throat> the gospel of peace moves us upward to God. Our sin is great, leading to death. God's grace is greater, giving us life through Jesus. And this is what we focused on with the first point, so we won't stay here long. But when we put our faith in Jesus, trusting Him for our salvation, the Bible says that we now have peace with God. Okay, The gospel is like a diamond with a whole bunch of different faces, and all of them are beautiful. You can talk about justification, adoption, all of those things. Paul focuses here on the gospel brings us peace with God. It brings us peace with God. We were at odds with Him because of our sin. Now, clothed in Jesus' righteousness that Joe showed us last week, <clears throat> we are brought into a new relationship with God, one marked by peace. The gospel of peace moves upward to God before we move anywhere else. We cannot move anywhere else until we have moved upward and are at peace with God. Romans 5.1 says, 
Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we now have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Since we've been justified by faith, we now have peace with God through Jesus. In Ephesians 2, earlier in this letter, Paul says that Jesus, through his blood shed on the cross, he tore down a wall of hostility between us and God, and even though we were once far off, he brought us near. And this is the foundation for all other peace. And so you need to understand what that means for you. We're talking enemies. We're talking battles. Because we move upward with the gospel of peace, it means that even though we have enemies, even though we're in a battle, even though we have this opposition that Paul's telling us about in Ephesians 6.10, he says, now because of the gospel of peace, because you're at peace with God, God is on your side. Okay? God is on your side. And so Psalm 56, David is outlining all the stuff. He's all this opposition against him. And he says, this I know, God is for me. Right? God is for me. I'm at peace with God. And that's fundamental. That's under everything. God is on your side. You are at peace with God when you put your faith in Jesus Christ for your salvation. Okay? You're at peace with God. He is on your side. <clears throat> now, not only do we move upward, but we need to be ready to move inward with the gospel of peace as well. Because peace isn't just a status between us and God. It's also an experience. It's not just static, solid, foundational peace. The peace that God brings us through the gospel is also meant to be experienced and tasted and enjoyed. And so Peter, another guy in the Bible, he wrote a couple letters as well. He starts both of them by saying, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. He knows that through the ups and downs of our life, we need more and more peace. It's not just a status. It's an experience that we want multiplied to us. Okay? <clears throat> and if you look in John 14 and John 16, Jesus tells His disciples, He says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. And then in 16 He says, I have said these things to you, that in me you, have, you may have peace. In the world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And so the reality is that when we're at peace with God, even on top of just regular, everyday troubles and trials that we go through, the reality is if we're at peace with God, Satan isn't going to give us any peace. Okay? We're talking about battles. We're talking about an enemy. If we're at peace with God, you should not expect Satan to give you any peace. You're going to have trouble. And Jesus says, take heart. I'm giving you peace even in the midst of your trouble. But notice that Jesus says it's not peace like the world gives. Okay? It's not a, a worldly peace. It's His peace. My peace I give to you. It's not dependent on circumstances. The world's peace is dependent on what's happening in their lives, what's happening around them. But Jesus is saying that the peace He gives is His peace. It's dependent on Him. It's dependent on Him, not on our circumstances. 
And so as Christians, if we bring it back to this imagery of Paul in Ephesians 6, as Christians, our peace is dependent on what we have on our feet and not the terrain that we're walking on, okay? If there's a few things you can get from this, let this be one, okay? As Christians, our peace is determined by the footwear that we have on and not the terrain that we're walking on. We have the sandals of the gospel of peace, not the smooth path of the gospel of peace. And so we should ask ourselves, what shoes are we putting on each morning? Are we filled with anxiety? Are we filled with fear? What shoes did we put on this morning? Are you crying out to God that grace and peace might be multiplied to you? Are you letting this gospel of peace, this good news of great joy, sink into your heart, renew your mind each day? Are you calling out to be filled with the presence of the Holy Spirit that the Bible refers to as the comforter? What shoes are we putting on each morning? Flip over, if you have your Bibles, to Philippians 4. And in Philippians 4, we've got a popular passage where Paul speaks about this peace. He's not speaking about peace with God. He's talking about having the God of peace with us. He's talking about an internal peace. And so if you look at Philippians 4, in verse 6, he says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. And so Paul tells us that when anxiety begins to flood us, our goal isn't just to stop negative thoughts. Our goal isn't the absence of something. Our goal is the presence of someone, the God of peace. It isn't just about shutting out negative thoughts. It's about having the presence of the God of peace with us. He says, give thanks in your requests and he says to think about big, big things, things that are true, things that are honorable, things that are lovely. He's pointing us back to the gospel. The crazy thing about Christianity is that when your life gets flipped up with big things, it tells you to think on bigger things, okay? So when we have anxiety about big things, the Bible says, think about the bigger things, because the bigger things are where we find what Ben talked about this morning. That's where we find the capstone that's endured. Those are what, when our life gets flipped up with uncertainties, we need to think about the certainties in our life as Christians. And that's our salvation. That's our hope. That's our rescuing from sin by Jesus. Those are the certainties in our life. And so when we get flipped upside down with uncertainties, wonder what's going to happen here. And what about this and this? The Bible says, think about the things that are true. Think about the things that are just. Think about the things that are lovely. Think about the things that are worthy of praise. Think about God. Think about Jesus. Think about the gospel of peace and what it means for you. 
because all the other things might go off in a hundred different directions. Those are the things that are solid and secure. <clears throat> Horatio Spafford was a well-known wealthy lawyer in Chicago in the late 1800s. In the spring of 1871, he decided to take a lot of his money and invested in real estate in Chicago, okay? A few months later, in the fall of 1871, with the Great Chicago Fire, most of his investments went up in flames along with his money. Two years later, needing a, a rest from all that, he booked a vacation to go to England and uh, to get his family away, and they were also going to join up with D.L. Moody and one of his evangelistic tours that he was on. And at the last minute, something came up business-wise that he had to handle. So he sent his wife and his four daughters off, and he would meet up with them soon. While they crossed the Atlantic, their ship collided with another ship and sank, killing 226 people, including all four of Horatio's daughters. His wife survived, clinging to a piece of debris. When she arrived in England, she sent a two-word telegram back to her husband, saved alone. A few days later, Horatio got on the boat to go to England to be reunited with his wife. And while he traveled across the Atlantic, over where his four daughters had drowned just a few days earlier, he sat down and wrote, when peace like a river attendeth my soul, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. And you think, how in the world can he write that in the midst of such circumstance, peace-destroying circumstances? How can he write that beautiful hymn about peace and about it being well with his soul. And then you look at verse 2, and he says, Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and has shed his own blood for my soul. Where is he going? He's going to bigger things. Right? He's going to bigger, bigger things. I might have an enemy, I might have trials, I might have suffering, but God is on my side. He's going to bigger things. Verse 3, my sin, oh the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin not in part but the whole is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh my soul. And so he keeps going to bigger and bigger Things. What's bigger than a boat sinking into the Atlantic? His sin sinking into the righteousness of Christ. What's bigger than losing most of his family? Losing his sin at the death of Jesus. Okay? <clears throat> and if God can take something as tragic as the death of his only son and redeem it for your salvation and the salvation of the whole world then can he not redeem the death of Horatio's four daughters? He's going to bigger things. 
And Lord, haste the day when my faith shall be sight and the clouds be rolled back as a scroll. The trump shall resound and the Lord shall descend. Even so, it is well with my soul. He knows that one day God is going to set everything right again. And so when we're shaken by big things, we don't diminish them, but we look to the bigger things that are more certain. We need to remember that the road might have changed, but our shoes haven't. And the gospel of peace is still strapped on. And a verse that I've really clung to over my years is Deuteronomy 29. And uh, God says to the Israelites, you walked through the desert for 40 years, but your sandals never wore out. You walked through the desert for 40 years, but the sandals I gave you never wore out. And that's the same with the sandals of the gospel of peace. They don't wear out. You can walk through the desert for 40 years, and you might. God doesn't promise that you won't, but he does promise that your sandals of the gospel of peace will not wear out. <clears throat> through hardship, through desert trials, through steep climbs or thick mud, whatever the terrain might be that we're walking on, He is for us. He is good. He has promised to work all things together for good for those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. He's promised to take these light momentary afflictions and turn them into a weight of glory that is beyond your comprehension. He is for you. And so we might not understand all the things, but his peace can surpass our understanding. And so what's the source of our peace? Is it the shoes that you have on? Or do you have peace just because you're currently walking in a meadow and everything is good? And when the sharp cliff and the bog is around the corner, your peace is going to fly away. What's the source of your peace this morning? It has to be the shoes. It has to be the sandals of the gospel of peace. That's what we saw when Ben gave his, gave his picture. It's the only thing that lasts is the capstone, Jesus. And maybe the enemy is coming and he's, he's trying to work in some lies in the midst of all this talk about peace because we shouldn't think he'd even leave us alone here on a Sunday morning. Maybe he's coming and he's saying, you know, Brent's just talking about an everyday sort of worry. He's not talking about the level of anxiety that I'm in, okay? I'm in some deep, deep anxiety. This is just every day, how am I going to get groceries, da-da-da. I'm in a crippling anxiety. The word that Paul uses in Philippians 4 isn't anxiety about everyday worries. It's about, it's, it's literally a life-shattering anxiety. So if the devil's coming in and saying, Brent's not even talking about what you're going through, yes, I am. Yes, the Bible is. It's talking about what you're going through. We can have peace. The gospel of peace because it goes upward and makes us right with God and gives us peace with God, it can go in. And it's not just a status between us and God, 
but we can experience his peace in our lives no matter what circumstance we might go in. And it's not that we just approach everything stern face and steely-eyed. We, we feel loss and pain deeply, but we feel the gospel of peace deeper. Okay? We're not, we're not just stoic and just no emotions, right? We can feel things deeply, and the Bible doesn't say just shut out all the emotion. It's that we feel the gospel of peace deeper, and we still have our peace So if we're in the midst of some real high-level crippling anxiety, we need to reach out to each other. We're not in this alone. We're not in the battle alone. We need to reach out to each other. We might need other help. We might need to make some changes in our lives. But this we do know, that it's not just about the absence of negative thoughts. It's about the presence of someone, the God of peace in our lives and we have certainties that we can fix our mind in that Christ has regarded our helpless estate and has shed his own blood for our soul so we move upward we move inward and we won't stay here but just to mention it we move outward with the gospel of peace as well we move outward with the gospel of peace tearing down division, making every effort to live at peace with all men, promoting unity amongst each other. We want the gospel of peace moving outward. We don't want bitterness. We don't want division. We want the gospel of peace going out, promoting unity. We also want the gospel of peace going out, proclaiming liberty. It's not just about us in here. It's about there's a whole lot of people out there that do not know the gospel of peace and we have a chance to proclaim it to a world that desperately needs to hear it and so the gospel of peace first takes us out of the enemy's camp and into God's camp okay takes us out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light it takes us out of one camp out of the enemy's camp and into God's camp Second, it enables us to stand against the enemy's attacks and against uh, the trials and the suffering that we encounter here just as living life as a human in this fallen and broken world. We can stand against those in the gospel of peace. And it enables us to advance into enemy territory, proclaiming unity and promoting, promoting unity and proclaiming liberty. That's the gospel of peace. That's what we want strapped on our feet. Okay. The bands come, can come up, and I'm going to pray. Father, we're so thankful for your gospel. We're so thankful for what you've done for us through Jesus. We're so thankful for your spirit in us. We're so thankful for your church that we can gather here this morning and give you the praise and the honor that you deserve because you have regarded our helpless estate and Jesus has shed his own blood for our souls. We praise you. We praise you for it. And we pray, Father, that if anyone here this morning does not have peace with God as a status, that right now they are, because of their sin, they are at odds with God. We pray, Father, that this morning they would 
make it right. They would come to Jesus. They would come to His finished work on the cross. And this morning they would leave knowing that God is on their side. That they have peace with you. We pray, Father, that that would happen. And we also pray that for those of us here who are struggling with anxiety, that our life is marked by anything but peace, we pray, Father, that your Spirit would come this morning. You would remind them of the great truths of the Gospel. They would fix their minds on things that are true and just and lovely and worthy of praise. We pray, Father, that the Gospel wouldn't just be upward, but it would be inward, that your Gospel would guard our hearts and minds this morning in Christ Jesus. We pray that you, the God of peace, would flood their lives this morning and that those things, as great as they might be, would be overwhelmed by the greater things that are true and lovely in their life, that they've been saved and redeemed. What you did for Horatio Spafford on that boat, we pray that you would do for people here this morning as well. And we pray that we'd be motivated to go out with the gospel of peace and tear down any walls of division, get rid of any bitterness, and proclaim uh, liberty, proclaim peace uh, to this hurt world, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.